Breaking right now after Iraq votes to kick U.S. troops out. Those troops could be on the move. The lead starts right now. Morning, anger, mobilization. People flooding the streets of Tehran as the U.S. braces for the regime's next move. And the president throws out a threat to obliterate parts of Iran. Also breaking today, an impeachment curveball. The president's former national security advisor raises his hand and said he's ready to talk. Will Leader McConnell and the White House prevent the American people from hearing his testimony? Plus, the first votes in the next presidential election just four weeks from tonight as the focus in the race shifts to what it takes to be commander-in-chief. And one candidate asks if President Trump is wagging the dog. Welcome to the lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin with our world lead, the Trump administration and key U.S. allies bracing for Iran's possible retaliation after the U.S. strike that killed Iranian General Qasem Soleimani Thursday night. Massive crowds gathered in Iran today to mourn Soleimani, including the country's top leader, Ayatollah Khamenei. The White House insists Soleimani has American blood on his hands and was plotting an imminent attack against Americans, though none of the evidence behind that claim has been released publicly. And Democrats who have been briefed question how imminent the attack was. President Trump says he's considering declassifying the intelligence and he renewed his threat to strike Iranian cultural sites, which would violate international law. As House Democrats are preparing to introduce a resolution limiting President Trump's military action, CNN's Alex Marquardt has this report. Four days since the killing of Qasem Soleimani and calls are growing for details on the attacks that were being planned by Iran that the Trump administration says were imminent. We're talking about days, we're talking about weeks. If you're an American in the region, days and weeks, this is not something that's relevant. Now, Senate Democrats demanding that the president declassify the notification that he sent to Congress about the drone strike that killed Soleimani writing, it is critical that national security matters of such import be shared with the American people in a timely manner. I think it is important for the, uh, for certainly for the White House to put out uh, the, the reasons for the attack and, and the imminent nature of it. Flying back from his Christmas vacation, the president responded, we may discuss that. They know that Congress will be, that they will be briefed. They're just doing this for show. House and Senate members are expected to get briefed on Wednesday as Democrats in both chambers work on war power resolutions that would limit President Trump's ability to act militarily against Iran. It will be resolved, I am afraid, with the one precious lives of our sons and daughters. And that is what this president has to realize, that there are implications here for American lives. In the wake of Soleimani's killing in Iraq, more than 3,000 U.S. forces are now being sent to the Middle East, a show of force that will also, many fear, make for a potential Iranian target. It's stressful for sure, um, especially with everything that has escalated recently. He was supposed to be only doing, like, training, and now it has obviously transpired into something else. This as a sea of crying and angry Iranian mourners filled the streets of the capital, Tehran, vowing revenge and chanting death to America. The American killing and the all but certain Iranian response to come, raising global fears it will set off a new round of deadly violence. The UK, France and Germany issuing a joint statement saying there is now an urgent need for de-escalation. We call on all parties to exercise utmost restraint and responsibility. Frankly, the Europeans haven't been as helpful as I wish that they could be. 
And Jake, the Pentagon has just announced it is also deploying six B-52s, which are huge long-range bombers. The Defense Department is saying that they'll be available for operations against Iran if needed. And they'll be based out in the middle of the Indian Ocean so that they're out of range of Iranian missiles. Jake. Thanks, Alex. This is CNN Breaking News. And we have this breaking news in our world lead sources confirming to CNN moments ago that the U.S. military has notified Iraq. It is repositioning some of the U.S. troops in the country. 5,000 American service members are currently stationed there. In a letter to Iraqi officials, a U.S. commanding general writes that the movement will happen over the next few days and weeks to, quote, prepare for onward movement. Iraq's parliament voted to expel U.S. troops from the country yesterday after President Trump ordered that strike to kill a top Iranian military leader. Joining me now is Leon Panetta. He's a former defense secretary and CIA director under President Obama. Uh, uh, Mr. Secretary, thanks for joining us. In this letter, the Marine Corps commanding Brigadier General William Seeley said that he was doing this in, quote, in due deference to the sovereignty of the Republic of Iraq and as requested by the Iraqi parliament and prime minister, CJTFOIR will be repositioning forces over the course of the coming days and weeks to prepare for onward movement. The letter also uh, concludes uh, that we respect your sovereign decision to order our departure. What do you make of that, Mr. Secretary? Well, it, uh, it raises a lot of issues. Uh, I thought the action taken by the parliament in Iraq was in many ways uh, advisory and not, uh, did not constitute an order that the U.S. in fact leave Iraq. Uh, at least according to that particular uh, note, it seems uh, clear that uh, the Marine uh, General uh, has, uh, has received an order uh, for uh, the United States to uh, depart Iraq. Uh, it's not unusual for a general like that to take uh, precautions in terms of organizing our forces so that they can withdraw in an orderly fashion. So that, that part of it is not unusual that they would uh, make plans in order to reposition our forces for possible departure. Uh, what concerns me is that uh, this now appears to be real, that the United States, in fact, may be withdrawing from Iraq. And I think that constitutes, uh, very frankly, another threat to our national security. Mr. Secretary, stay right there. I want to bring in uh, our correspondent, Arwa Damon, uh, who is in uh, Baghdad, uh, and she can hopefully shed some more light on this, and then we'll come back to you. Uh, Arwa, um, tell us what you know. Well, Jake, look, there's some interesting language um, in the letter that when afterwards uh, we spoke to a uh, U.S. official in Baghdad uh, was trying to say, look, despite what the letter reads, this is not an announcement of a U.S. troop withdrawal, nor does the announcement at this stage of what is to come, saying that this was simply a repositioning of some troops. And because there was going to be a lot of helicopter activity over uh, Baghdad, in particular over the green zone, that they wanted to clarify, given how tense the situation is right now, that they were going to be moving some forces and that this should not be misconstrued as the U.S. military attempting to move coalition forces in, which, of course, given how tense the situation uh, right now could potentially provoke uh, a very negative reaction. But if we look at the language 
um, of some parts of the letter. They do, the letter does recognize what has been requested by the Iraqi parliament and the Iraqi uh, prime minister. It does talk about repositioning forces over the course of coming days and weeks. But we have also um, heard that some of this repositioning is due to the current security uh, situation and the heightened threat that does exist to the U.S. military here and to U.S. installations. Towards the end of the letter, though, Jake, and this bit's also quite uh, interesting, we respect your sovereign decision to order our departure. Now, as far as we are aware, at this point, the Iraqi government has not yet officially requested U.S. forces to leave. And in speaking with senior Iraqi um, officials, some of them at least are saying that what they're hoping for is some sort of agreement, some sort of way to create breathing space for the situation to calm down. Because even though what the U.S. has done here is being viewed as a violation of Iraq's sovereignty as an act of aggression against Iraq itself, there is a recognition that this country does still need the support of the U.S. military. Also, Jake, worth noting that in looking at the language uh, in this letter, it is also a great reflection of the situation that the U.S. faces right now, perhaps also to a certain degree hoping to appease the Iraqi government and perhaps delay um, any sort of full-on withdrawal at, or have it at least, Jake, reach a point where they then can't turn back from. All right, Ara Damon in Baghdad, I want to go to the Pentagon right now and bring in Barbara Starr. Uh, and Barbara, uh, that line that Arwa Damon, our correspondent in Baghdad, just highlighted, uh, we respect your sovereign decision to order our departure from a U.S. Marine general to uh, the Iraqi uh, military uh, ministry. It seems pretty stark. You were just briefed on this all by the Secretary of Defense, Mr. Esper. What did he have to say? The Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs General, Mark Milley, both just finished a briefing off camera, but on the record, so we can quote them, uh, with the Pentagon Press Corps. Now, Secretary Esper began by saying that he, he is aware of this letter, but that the U.S. has no plans at this time to leave Iraq. He went on to say that the letter is is, in his words, inconsistent with policy at this time. Uh, it, and so it is a bit baffling. He noted that, yes, troops are repositioning throughout the region, that it be given the situation, that is very much public knowledge. So this one-star Marine general may well be talking initially in this letter about some repositioning, but then this general goes on and says to prepare for onward movement. Uh, it is unlikely that a one-star general would be the one to announce anything about U.S. forces leaving Iraq, you know, virtually simultaneously with the Secretary of Defense saying it's inconsistent. So uh, there's a lot to figure out here. This letter, by the way, remains unsigned. So it is uh, at least the version that we have seen. There's another thing that came up at the briefing that's quite important. Both Secretary Esper and General Milley said they would continue to obey the law about targeting military sites when asked whether they would agree to target cultural sites. As the president has suggested, they both said they would continue to follow the law. All right, Barbara Starr at the Pentagon, thanks so much. Let's uh, bring back uh, former Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta. Uh, Mr. Secretary, I'm not sure that you can explain what's going on here, but what's your best guess? Uh, 
my, my best guess is that uh, they're scrambling around trying to figure out what the hell to do. Uh, and uh, obviously, uh, there, there are several things involved here. Number one is uh, they do have to reposition their forces, I think, for defensive purposes uh, for the possibility of uh, an Iranian proxy attack. So that, that to me, makes sense. Uh, the idea that they're repositioning for purposes of withdrawal uh, I think does does concern me, and I think, frankly, right now we're we're not, we're not really sure whether, in fact, uh, the uh, the U.S. Uh, is going to prepare for withdrawal. I hope they don't. I hope they make every effort to try to maintain our forces there, because, frankly, uh, the issue we're forgetting a lot about uh, in the middle of all of this Iranian uh, crisis is the fact that ISIS still remains a real threat to the United States. Uh, and the ability to deal with ISIS depends a great deal on U.S. presence in Iraq. What is your best guess in terms of what the Iranian response uh, to, to um, the strike against General Soleimani will be? Do you think it will be uh, Iranian-backed militias, proxies attacking U.S. forces in places like Iraq? I, I think the most likely uh, approach that uh, Iran will use uh, is what they've done in the past, which is to use their proxy forces to go after uh, U.S. military targets. Uh, I think uh, I think they are intent on on seeking vengeance here. I think they are planning some kind uh, of attack. Uh, there are a number of targets, obviously, uh, between our troop presence in Syria, our troop presence in Iraq, uh, in Kuwait, in the Gulf. So there are there are a number of targets that they could go after. But I think rather than having missiles suddenly fly from uh, Iran, I think the more likely scenario is that they will use their proxy forces to attack us. All right, Mr. Secretary, thanks so much for joining us during this breaking news moment. We appreciate your time. President Trump says he would target sites important to Iran, but his closest advisors are not as crystal clear. Their twist on his words as the world waits to see how far Iran will take its vow of revenge. Plus, the statement today from former Ambassador John Bolton that may take impeachment in a whole new direction. Stay with us. In our world lead now, the president's closest advisors are now dodging and dismissing questions about how serious the president was about his threat to attack cultural sites in Iran. President Trump first declaring it on Twitter, and then after various administration officials denied that's what the president was saying, the president again reiterated his pledge on Air Force One. As CNN's Caitlin Collins reports, sources say there is widespread opposition in the administration to the move, which would likely be considered a war crime inside the Trump administration. With nothing else on his public schedule, President Trump called into Rush Limbaugh's radio show today to defend the U.S. airstrike that killed Iran's top military commander. We'll see what happens. We'll see what the response is, if any. Making no mention of his threats to hit Iranian culture sites, which have prompted intense backlash. He repeated those threats on Air Force One Sunday night, telling reporters they're allowed to use roadside bombs and blow up our people and we're not allowed to touch their cultural sites. It doesn't work that way. That coming after the president tweeted Saturday that the United States has 52 targets in its sights if Iran retaliates, one for each American held during the hostage crisis of 1979. Experts say a military attack against a cultural site would constitute a war crime. 
And White House aides are attempting to defend the statements by claiming Trump never made them. Look, as for these critiques, President Trump didn't say he'd go after a cultural site. Read, read what he said. He didn't say he's targeting well, cultural sites. He's identified sites. Secretary of State Pompeo the president is also countering a vote by the Iraqi parliament to try to oust U.S. troops by saying he'll impose very big sanctions if they do. Just as hundreds of U.S. troops are deploying to Kuwait on short notice to serve as reinforcements amid those rising tensions in the Middle East. Despite Trump promising repeatedly on the campaign trail to get the U.S. out of long, expensive and bloody Middle East engagements. War and aggression will not be my first instinct. A superpower understands that caution and restraint are really, truly signs of strength. Now, Jake, as far as the president's threat to target those cultural sites, our colleague Barbara Starr just asked the defense secretary if that is something they would move forward with, given that the president has threatened it twice on the record now, despite those aides denying it. He said, quote, we will follow the laws of armed conflict. She said, does that mean no, since that would be a war crime if you did do that? And he said, quote, that's the law of armed conflict. Essentially, the defense secretary saying no, he would not. Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. Uh, let's chew over all this. Uh, and, Maddie, it's interesting because the people in the administration are saying we will follow the law, we're going to abide by law, but President Trump is out there saying that very clearly that he's going to target cultural centers in Iran, possibly, if Iran uh, hits the U.S. And according to international law, including a U.N. Security uh, Council resolution the U.S. voted yes on, yeah. that would uh, be against the law, that would be a war crime. Including the 1954 Hague Convention on the Protection of Cultural Property that the U.S. is a signatory to. Uh, you say officials have been saying, oh, you know, we're not following this. They've also been lying in public, too. One yep. of them came on your show yesterday, Mike Pompey. He did the rounds of the Sunday shows where he basically, you know, 1984, Orwell, don't believe. The, the party requests you not to believe your eyes and ears. He says to us, go look at the tweet. He didn't say attack cultural centers. You pointed out to him, that's exactly what he said. Kellyanne Conway today goes one step further in the kind of gaslighting Olympics, saying it was a hypothetical. It's not a hypothetical. He said we will hit 52 sites, including cultural sites, very fast and very hard. That's a war crime. And the irony is that Trump supporters are saying Qasem Soleimani was a war criminal. That's why he had to be killed. And that's why we shouldn't shed any tears. Here's Trump basically agitating to be a war criminal. He did it when he ran for president. He said, we're going to kill the families of terrorists. Remember that? We're mm. going to take out the families of terrorists, but women and children. Maya Angelou said it best. When someone tells you who they are, believe them the first time. This Wait, is who he is. He did run on a pro-war crime uh, policy Open. position in, in a way. Steal the oil, kill the terrorist family suspects, and now he's like, we'll attack cultural sites. CNN's Daniel Dale points out this seems to be a familiar cycle. Quote, number one, President Trump says inflammatory thing. Number two, Trump officials say he didn't say it. What pe He didn't say what people are saying he actually said. Number three, Trump says he totally said it and he <laughs> meant it. It's kind of a, a challenging position for people in the administration. They go out on a limb and he saws it out from behind them. <laughs> That's not uncommon. That's very true. I think in this case, there are one of two things could have happened. Either he was presented with a list of important sites in Iran and looks at all of them as potential targets, even if they were not part of an actual target deck. Or remember, we're talking about someone whose idea of culture may be very different than an Iranian scholar. So it might be that he's talking about TV stations or sports stadiums or things that, you know, a TV station would actually be considered critical infrastructure and not talking about things that we would consider, you know, like ancient sites or or libraries. A, let's be clear. Not a TV station full of journalists. That, right. A TV no. station is full of civilians. Cultural uh, uh, places are full of civilians. He's talking about killing civilians. Okay. And that is something well, that was just her interpretation. Any station would be yeah. on. Well, yeah. I mean, just think of the 
the actors that commit that destroy cultural sites. We're talking about the Taliban, yep. ISIS, the Chinese Communist Party. This is not a club that the United States should aspire to be in, even as an empty threat, okay? But I think what the president is trying to do here is he's trying to establish what we call escalation dominance. He's trying to threaten them with such severe punishment that they're scared into not retaliating for us killing Soleimani. Mm-hmm. That's a very risky strategy to do, even when you have an administration that's functioning well, that's communicating well, that's messaging well, and none of those things are present here. So we should should probably dial back the rhetoric. And, and Jen, two leading uh, Senate Democrats, Chuck Schumer and Bob Menendez, called on President Trump to declassify the intelligence uh, behind the drone strike. Kellyanne Conway was asked today if the president will do that. Take a listen. So, yes, they will be briefed, but they also should calm down and celebrate, not denigrate, the fact that the world's greatest terrorist, who is single-handedly responsible for the deaths of hundreds of Americans and the injuries of thousands of others, They should celebrate, not denigrate that fact. What do you make of that? Well, first of all, just to echo what my friend here said next to me, I mean, they are lying to the American public. This is not the first time they have done that. Well, they said President Trump never called for the bombing of cultural centers, and he has now done it twice. Correct. Um, And they've also been misleading, or one could suggest they've been misleading about why they did this strike to begin with. And they don't have a record to stand on to begin with uh, of, of being honest with the American public. Look, I think Congress is doing what they should be doing, which is asking for the evidence, asking for the backup that led to why they took this action. Because we can all agree Soleimani is a very bad guy. He did was a very bad guy. He did terrible things. But the question is, was this the right in the national interest of the United States? And right now, even the, uh, the uh, forces, the U.S. forces who are in Iraq are not fighting ISIS. They're protecting the bases. That's not in national, the interest of the United States. There's frayed, uh, there's a fraying of our alliances in the region. That's not in the interest of the United States. The fact that diplomatic and military personnel around the world are on uh, alert, that's not in the interest of the United States. That's why Congress is asking these questions, and I think they have every right to. Do you think Kellyanne has a point, though, about uh, Democrats aren't doing enough to celebrate uh, the killing of this horrible person? I don't think there should be necessarily celebrations over the death of anyone, but I do know that Qasem Soleimani was a, a bad guy, you know, right. and, and taking him off the battlefield was something that every president since he's been active has talked about and just not seen the conditions for. Now, we, instead of chasing him, we knew what he was going to do and we were able to get him in advance. First time that's really been an option. But remember that the intelligence downgrade is not super easy. This is a compartmentalized intelligence report. To release the information. Right. So anyone, the intel um, committee's folks and the intel reps on the Hill will have had access to the original intelligence already and should have been able to an extent to brief their their seniors. But this whole thing about bad guys, I get it, but Kellyanne Conway works for a man who brags about his friendship with Kim Jong-un, right? Can't take lessons from them on who is and isn't a bad guy. Trump has a record of mourning the deaths of the people like Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi. He's on record saying, I wish they were still alive running their countries. So the last people who are going to lecture anyone on bad guys is details. The criteria is not bad guy for taking people out. As for the imminent threat and the intelligence, we now know, thanks to the Washington Post, thanks to Josh's papers reporting, that Pompeo was calling for this for months. And now that we're told, no, no, because it was an imminent attack. Well, where is the imminent attack? And right. how does killing Soleimani stop an imminent attack? Was I think, he wearing a suicide vest when they killed him? I think we're going to have a historical debate over whether or not their justification makes sense and was honest. But... Right now, we have to deal with where we are, and where we are is a very dangerous, volatile situation with thousands of Americans, not to mention millions of Iraqis and Middle Eastern citizens, uh, under direct threat from the action that we took. And we have a responsibility to deal with that threat in a comprehensive way, and that's what we don't see. And President Trump threatening to sanction Iraq if Iraq actually kicks out U.S. troops. Everyone stick around. We have more to talk about. Huge news on impeachment. A member of President Trump's inner circle saying he's ready to talk how that might change the Senate impeachment for all. That's next. 
We have more breaking news for you in our world lead. The Pentagon just said moments ago that that widely circulated letter announcing that the U.S. was repositioning troops in Iraq because it had been ordered to depart by the Iraqi government was mistakenly released. CNN's Barbara Starr is live for us at the Pentagon. Barbara, the letter was what, just a draft? It was, Jake. We've had an extraordinary couple of minutes here. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Mark Milley, coming back into the press room within minutes of leaving earlier to uh, tell us what he had learned about the letter after making some phone calls. Uh, The letter, he says, quote, that letter is a draft. It was a mistake. It was unsigned. It should not have been released. Poorly worded, implies withdrawal. That is not what is happening. So this letter talked about repositioning some forces. That has been going on. That is very well known, very well understood. But the letter also goes on to say to prepare uh, for, quote, onward movement. General Milley, adamant, that is a mistake. The letter, had, as a draft, had been uh, sent to some Iraqis and apparently leaked or sent to the media from somewhere in this chain of events. Milley, very concerned about the international implications so he wants to emphasize it's not true that troops are leaving jake all right barbara Starr. i suspect there's more to the story than that but let's keep going in our politics lead former national security advisor john bolton announced today that he will testify if subpoenaed by the senate ambassador bolton is one of the few people who was in the room when president trump made that july phone call with the president of ukraine and as cnn's phil manley reports for us now bolton's announcement pushes senate majority leader mitch mcconnell into a place where Democratic accusations of a Senate cover-up have been given new life. Very polite group of people. With a single statement, former National Security Advisor John Bolton jolted an impeachment process that has been stuck in a stalemate. Bolton, who declined to testify in the House impeachment inquiry, now saying he has concluded, quote, if the Senate issues a subpoena for my testimony, I am prepared to comply. It's a shift with major ramifications in the Senate. House Democrats are treating impeachment like a political toy. Where Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer have been battling for weeks over whether to subpoena witnesses. A trial without all the facts is a farce. Bolton's possible testimony could be key, given his central role in the Democratic investigation highlighted in the House. Ambassador Bolton told me that I am not part of this whatever drug deal that Mulvaney and Sondland are cooking up. And by his lawyer, who in November said Bolton, quote, was personally involved in many of the events, meetings and conversations about which you have already received testimony, as well as many relevant meetings and conversations that have not yet been discussed. The new development underscoring a Democratic strategy to withhold sending the articles of impeachment to the Senate. I hope, pray and believe there's a decent chance that four Republicans will join us if they do. We will have a fair trial. For Republicans, joining with all 47 of the chamber's Democrats is all Schumer would need to fashion a trial along the lines he's been pushing for, with Democrats eyeing a group of potential GOP converts to help their cause, even as none, at least to this point, have expressed a willingness to go that route. Both Schumer and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi seizing on every new development to underscore the need for documents and witnesses now. Pelosi reacting this afternoon to the Bolton News, tweeting, quote, the president and Senator McConnell have run out of excuses. And Jake, sources are telling me that the Bolton developments are not changing Senator McConnell's strategy at all. He's still pushing forward with the path he's laid out from the beginning. The reality is this. At some point, there will be votes on witnesses and whoever gets 51 
will end up getting what they want. Jake? All right, Phil Manningly, thanks so much. Uh, let's chew over all this. Uh, Senator Schumer says he needs four Republicans to be in favor of witnesses. Uh, you heard Phil Manningly uh, there and also two Senate Republican aides tell CNN witnesses aren't happening. Democrats have zero leverage and we feel zero pressure to listen to their demands. But Mike, is it not possible that some of the vulnerable Republicans who are up for re-election, uh, Cory Gardner, uh, Susan Collins, uh, Martha McSally, that they might have a tough time explaining to voters at home, yeah, I didn't want to hear from John Bolton, that, that wasn't important to the country? It could be, and we should also include uh, senators who aren't up for re-election, but sort of uh, occupy that sort of moderate-ish position, even somebody like, like Lamar Alexander, who's retiring, uh, but sort of does stake out that position, uh, they might also just be motivated by uh, sort of an internal consistency. They want to uh, sort of maintain uh, the, the the Senate rules. Um, I, I think that the Bolton news does make that much more difficult for McConnell. But, you know, again, trusting Phil's uh, reporting there, it doesn't seem like McConnell has any reason to, to deviate from his path. He's just trying to hold together uh, that conference. It sounds like most of them uh, will hold together. It's this that magic number of three or four that, uh, that yeah. the Democrats need. And, Abby, let's remind people uh, what Trump, Trump's former top Russia advisor, Fiona Hill, said in her testimony about Bolton referring to withholding the aid uh, in order to get the, the Ukrainians to do these investigations uh, as a drug deal. You tell Eisenberg, Ambassador Bolton told me, that I am not part of uh, this whatever drug deal that Mulvaney and Sondland are cooking up. What did you understand him to mean by the drug deal that Mulvaney and Sondland were cooking up? I took it to mean investigations for a meeting. Did you go speak to the lawyers? I certainly did. Can we really expect Republicans don't want to hear from John Bolton? Right. I mean, it's clear that what Fiona Hill was saying that John Bolton told her was that he understood it to be a pretty clear quid pro quo and one that he thought was was um, improper enough that he told her to go to the lawyer. That's who she was referring to there when she talks about Eisenberg. He's the White House lawyer. So. So, yes, I mean, John Bolton is someone who has key direct information about all of this. He's someone who's saying on the record for everyone to hear, I'm willing to testify. All you have to do is is ask me to, basically. And I do think McConnell is not going to say, oh, yes, absolutely, we're going to have witnesses. But he is going to be under some pressure here. The lesson that we learned from Murkowski, Lisa Murkowski uh, of, of Alaska and from uh, from Susan Collins in Maine is that they don't want to be seen as putting the fix in for Donald Trump. They want to be seen as having the at least the appearance of fairness here. And so if McConnell makes that hard for them, I think he's going to get some pushback. I don't know how you vote against wanting to hear from the national security advisor for the president without coming under criticism at home that you're helping to cover things up. Thanks so much to both of you. The groundswell of anger in the streets of Iran. We're live in the capital city of Tehran. Next, stay with us. In our world lead now, a sea of Iranians mourning publicly, flooding the streets of Iran for the funeral of General Soleimani. Some, of course, chanting death to America. The general's daughter vowing today that her father's death would bring, quote, darker days for both the U.S. and Israel. And as CNN's Fred Plykin reports from Tehran, Iranian officials are vowing revenge. Fury and threats as Iranians mourn their top general, Qasem Soleimani. Hundreds of thousands lined the streets of Tehran, weeping, chanting, vowing retribution. It's a great deal of anger here on the streets of Tehran as many, many people have come out here to pay their final respects to the body of Qasem Soleimani and the others who were killed in that American airstrike. Of course, there's a lot of grief 
but also a lot of anger at the United States and specifically at President Trump and the Trump administration. All Iranians says, down with Trump, down with U.S. government. We don't hate American people, European people, but we hate the policy that they follow. Many of those in the crowd saying they want Iran to hit back at the U.S. as they yelled, death to America. General Soleimani was a hero. He was the only shield against ISIS here. And now, as our leader Sadali said, you will uh, see a rough revenge. All of us want a hard revenge. And all of us said, Iran's leadership hailed Soleimani, Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei praying at his coffin. And Soleimani's replacement vowing to kick America out of the Middle East. We will continue Soleimani's path. We will remove the U.S. from the region in several steps. The Supreme Leader backs this. And Jake, senior Iranian leadership is telling me that they don't want a full-on war with the United States, but they also say that a retaliatory strike on their part is not a question of if, but a question of when, Jake. All right, Fred Plotkin in Tehran, stay safe. Uh, what could Iran's revenge against the U.S. look like? A former NATO Supreme Allied Commanding General joins me live next. Stay with us. In the world lead today, the Pentagon is planning to deploy six B-52 bombers to a British territory in the middle of the Indian Ocean. It's one of many U.S. forces around the globe on alert in case Iran attempts some sort of revenge for the deadly U.S. strike that killed its top military general, Qasem Soleimani. I want to bring in retired Admiral James Stavridis. He's a former NATO Supreme Allied Commander and author of the book, Sailing True North. Uh, thanks so much for being here, Admiral. I appreciate it. You bet, Jake. So on potential revenge, President Trump said yesterday on Air Force One, if it happens, it happens, regarding an Iranian strike. Game it out. What might retaliation from Iran look like in mm -hmm. response to the U.S. strike? What, what do you think it would be? They have a wide range of options, as you'll appreciate. Uh, number one on their list will be use of proxies in the region to attack U.S. assets. So going against our troops in Afghanistan. Another Shiite mil militia. Bingo. Uh, perhaps going back at one of our embassies. Certainly, Jake, there'll be a cyber component to this. They'll go to sea and probably come after a U.S. warship at sea with They've done that a diesel before. submarine. They have swarm tactics. Or um, most chillingly, I think, they might say, we're going to do this proportionally. So we're going to kill an American ambassador or senior military figure, much as Soleimani was. And here they'd probably go outside the region, perhaps to Europe, where the target sets are softer. Would it, be, would it be an act that we would know the Iranians were behind it, or, or would it be potentially a mystery? I think the Iranians are going to want to have some level of plausible deniability throughout all of this because they are determined, they are highly religious, they are devoted to their cause, but they are not suicidal. They're not going to stumble into a full-blown war with the United States. Yeah, they don't, they don't want to be made martyrs necessarily Correct. on a national level. Do you think we've heard a lot from um, President Trump and Secretary Pompeo about the U.S. being safer, Americans being safer today as a long term claim? I could understand that. We'll see. Who knows if we'll be safe with Soleimani gone? He was certainly a dangerous guy. But short term for the 50,000 U.S. troops uh, in the Middle East right now, is it safer today 
or was it safer before Soleimani was killed? Just just speaking today in terms of those Americans. Yeah, it was safer before Soleimani was killed. Um, and I think the way to look at this, Jake, is the difference between something tactical and something strategic. This is a tactical move that takes a very dangerous chess piece off the board. But we need a strategy like you do in a chess match, which, by the way, is a Persian game, to think about the longer term. How can we leverage the fact that Soleimani is gone? And what are our next moves to create a strategy, international, interagency, private, public, strategic communications? We need to get better at launching ideas. We're really good at launching missiles. There were a lot of Iran hawks in the Trump administration uh, who were strategic thinkers. I'm mm-hmm. thinking about retired General Mattis. Yeah. I'm thinking... Uh, McMaster. Uh, McMaster, who was the National Security Advisor. These are, these are people who were, without question, hawks on Iran. And yep. they, may, they might have recommended this too. But they also had strategic uh, thinking. Do you think that the current leadership around President Trump is strategic? Do they, do they have that kind of bandwidth? I don't feel that. And I think part of it is because there's been so much turmoil and change. We're on our fourth National Security Advisor our second CIA, our second State Department in the course of three years. So there's been no time to develop strategy and think. I think the closest to a strategic document out of this administration was H.R. McMaster's National Security Strategy came out two years ago. That's a pretty good document. From all I can see, that is not the course that this ship is being steered on. All right, Admiral, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it, and good luck with the book. Thanks a lot, Jake. Looking forward to reading it. Coming up, new reaction from members of Congress on John Bolton saying he would be willing to testify and how that might change the impeachment trial in the Senate. Stay with us. Next week, it's the last debate before the Iowa caucuses, the CNN presidential debate in partnership with the Des Moines Register. Do not miss it. Next Tuesday night, 8 o'clock Eastern, only here on CNN. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks so much for watching. I'll see you tomorrow. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.